Thank you very much. You know, that's something I've given a lot of thought to. Coincidentally, the, I think the I, the first person, is one of the best masks, one of the best personas. People think you're literally speaking about yourself. Why? I mean, if a fiction writer does it, you don't think, did that really happen to him? I mean, why shouldn't a poet be able to make up things? I don't, I hope you can hear me in the back. Can you hear me all right? Should I speak louder? Well, I thought I would begin with a poem of my father's, a favorite poem, always been maybe my favorite poem of his. Thank you. I, I, I think it's something that came out of his years in Minnesota associating with Robert Bly and I remember going out to that farmhouse in Madison, Minnesota on the weekends sometimes and they'd give me a gun to go shoot or something and <laughs> they'd talk about poetry and for a seven-year-old that was like, go shoot something. So, some people don't get over it after they're seven. It's the one uh, towards the end of Shall We Gather at the River uh, called Poem to a Brown Cricket, Poems to a Brown Cricket. One, I woke just about daybreak and fell back in a drowse. A clean leaf from one of the new cedars has blown in through the open window how long ago a huge shadow of wings pondering and hovering leaned down to comfort my face. I, I don't care who loved me. Somebody did, so I let myself alone. I will stand watch for you now. I lay here awake a long time before I looked up and found you sunning yourself asleep in the secret life of Jakob Bain left open on the desk. Two, our friends gave us their love and this room to sleep in. Outside now, not a sound. Instead of rousing us out for breakfast, our friends love us and grant us our loneliness. We shall awaken again when the courteous face of the old horse David appears at our window to snuffle and cough gently. When he says our, I think, might be me. You know, we, we slept in this converted chicken coop or something where, where uh, he would write and I would sleep at night. Um, our friends love us and grant us. We shall waken again when the courteous face of the old horse David appears at our window to snuffle and cough gently. He too believes we may long for one more dream of slow canters across the prairie before we come home to our strange bodies 
and rise from the dead. Three, as for me, I have been listening for an hour or so now to the scampering ghosts of Sioux ponies down the long road towards South Dakota. They just brought me home, leaning forward by both hands, clinging to the joists of the magnificent dappled feathers under their wings. Four. As for you, I won't press you to tell me where you have gone. I know. I know how you love to edge down the long trails of canyons. At the bottom, along willow shores, you stand waiting for twilight in the silence of deep grass. You are safe there, guarded, for you know how the dark faces of the cliffs forbid easy plundering of their beautiful pueblos. White cities concealed delicately in their chasms as the new eggs of the morning dove in her ground nest that only the spirit hunters of the snow can find. Five. Brown cricket, you are my friend's name. I will send back my shadow for your sake to stand guard on the solitude of the morning dove's young. Here I will stand by you, shadowless, at the small golden door of your body till you wake in a book that is shining. Now, I never know what to read, but I have a book that just came out last fall called Kinder Totenwald. It's a, a compound German noun I made up that means sort of, well, if you know uh, the composer Gustav Mahler, maybe you know his Kinder Toten Lieder, the songs on the deaths of children. Um, Kinder Totenwald would mean, one meaning would be the, the forest of dead children. That's a simple, simplified meaning of it. They're all prose poems. There's about 65 prose poems. It ends with a longish verse poem to my wife. Uh, then I had been struggling with cancer, and I was told I had a year to live, so I had two books I wanted to write, so I went home and stayed up day and night, and I wrote them, and one of them's coming out next August. It's called F, like failure, failure you know, like in school, you know. It means other things, too, and, and they know who they are, too, but, uh, uh, um, so I thought I would start by reading, I, I have a long poem in the middle of that book, my longest single poem and, uh, called Entries of the Cell. And uh, the beginning of it, I thought I like so much. It has a song-like quality I never was able to, to accomplish. And, I thought I would read that and then go into 
some of the poems in the first section of that book and then maybe read a few poems from my other most recent books. Um, the, the beginning, it begins, uh, tell me once more how you're going to do it. I have been wondering and wondering, tell me. By window light, my ghosts, by winter light, sun seen from Pluto, hand mirror of dead girl and ground diamond desert. By taste of fresh bird blood in snow, theorem and spell. By muttering and crooning alone, the same word I've been saying to reach you forever it seems, from glad ascent to fatal fall, and all I have seasick and brain sick been trying to recall, dying to sing you, be it ever so simple and strange. There are two infinities, can't you see them? I will die with a hammer in my hand, sings the glass anvil. Don't ask me how it works, one of star-sown so space and one infinity of the words for it. I only know it was like living twice. And then it goes on for 20 pages. I don't know how that happened. I tend to write short. A lot of these, they go back and forth between verse and prose. And, uh, this is called Elderly Couple, and uh, it takes place in a Mount Feek Cemetery in Waltham, Massachusetts, where my, my, uh, my wife uh, and I live, have lived for 12 years. And, very, very happily, and, and uh, when I had this, I can't remember if I made this up now, uh, seeing this elderly couple in the cemetery and then not seeing them again one day, and they vanished, and I thought, that's not a good sign, but, uh, and I identified with that I'm, uh, elderly couple. Those last two weeks of August before we too are married, before we recognize another soul in town, we meet them walking here evenings, nod and smile hello until we don't a while, then never again. Small rabbits tensely watch us pass from the long uncut grass between headstones where they believe they are safe. They have gone to school with stones to learn patience and motionlessness, rapidly graying, dissolving into one substance with the dust. They are so still, they tremble. They are troubled by a fear whose source they have no way of comprehending combined with the equally incomprehensible delight of children playing hide-and-seek as it gets dark sooner enormously with every passing day 
and they become aware in waves of being older than a person they were only yesterday. While the trees swaying soundlessly high overhead, the breeze and first visible stars seem, if anything, younger. Mothers stand in yellow kitchen windows pretending to listen to the fathers, quietly, inconsequentially droning on behind them in the deepening evening, even when they are the voices of men no longer alive. They say things like, any day above ground is a good day. And what would they have known about that? The mothers stand completely still. They will never turn around. Standing with his back to a tree, barely breathing, a boy wonders if he is going to be the one abruptly struck down from above, swiftly carried aloft over the first soft lights of town by huge wings, never to be seen again, and decides that he probably won't, and for a minute is perfectly happy. This is a verse poem. Uh, Leave Me Hidden, it's called. I was having trouble deciding which to watch, Night of the Living Bloggers or Attack of the Neck Brace People. In the end, I just went for a walk. In the woods, I stopped wondering why, of all trees, this one, my hand pressed to fissures and ridges of bark's hugely magnified fingerprint, forehead resting against it, finally feeling distinctly a heartbeat, vast, silently booming there, deep in my hidden leaves, blessed mother world personal underworld. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> this, this came out in the New Yorker a while back. Uh, uh, it's called I Dreamed I Met William Burroughs. It's a favorite of mine. Uh, in certain moods. I met William Burroughs in a dream. It was some sort of bohemian farmhouse. And he was enthroned, small and skeletal, in a truly gigantic red armchair. When I asked him how he was, he replied, well, you know what they say. For best results, always mock and frighten lobster before boiling. <laughs> Franz, I like that name, Franz, child Franz to the dark tower or something or other. Hey, got to smoke and quit worrying so much. They can't help themselves. They're like 
abused dogs and they're going to react to affection and kindness with uncontrollable savagery. Just tell them, you're out of my mind, pal. You're out of my mind. Either that or I'm out of yours. That'll keep them brain chained to their trees. <laughs> Beat, beat poet, France, beat poet. Uh, homecoming, this is called. And it's about being in San Francisco at one point and trying to find my old elementary school. I went in the early 60s. Um, it took longer than expected to walk to my old elementary school. I can't tell you how long it took. And by the time I got there, I was certain it would be too late to get inside and have a look around. It was suddenly night, and I found myself at the main entrance. Do you think the moon is larger on their coast than ours? It seems that way to me. Larger and a good deal more brilliant. I don't know why. It's not something I feel comfortable discussing. But I know that I can talk to you. I have always felt that I could turn to you. The door was unlocked to my surprise, though every light in the building was off. Blindingly, the moon burned into each classroom as they glided by until I stood shielding my eye. Let's see. Though every light in the building was off, blindingly, the moon burned into each classroom as they glided by until I stood outside the door of mine. Finding it slightly ajar, I pushed it wide open with one hand, shielding my eyes with the other. I heard more than saw a dead leaf skitter across the floor, hopelessly giving away my position. I realized I could not move, for the room had fallen from its former murmurous to absolute quiet followed by a unanimous turning of faces in my direction. The humorous and lethal eyes of great leaders gathered in secret, all trained on me for a long minute, a minute with seasons. Before slowly returning to whatever it is they actually talk about, and I, for one, am glad that they are willing to keep such secrets from us, for us. I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything anymore. All at once, they were children sitting around the circular table in formal attire far too large for them. Heads bowed, eyes closed as in prayer, then wearily raised and gazing straight through me, Twelve brothers and sisters torn from sleep by their mad father, 
who had just been explaining to them why they must all die. The composer. People said he was overly fond of the good life and ate like a pig. Yet the boy who brought him his chocolate in bed would sometimes find him weeping quietly, both plump pink hands raised slightly and conducting, evidently, in small, brief, genuflective feints. Awareness of existing in a universe where death is real came to him in the form of music. Uh, this was, uh, I think, the first poem I published in Poetry Magazine a few years ago. Poetry Magazine and I had some disagreements for a while, and then I became their boyfriend or something. Now they can't get enough of me, and I, I won their prize for the best poem published in 2011, I think, which I'm very proud of. I think they do interesting things. Uh, dedication. It's true I never write, but I would gladly die with you. Gladly lower myself down alone with you into the enormous mouth that waits beyond youth, beyond every instance of ecstasy. Remember, before battle we would do each other's makeup, comb each other's hair out, saying, we are invincible, we are terrible and splendid. The mouth waiting, patiently waiting. And I would meet you there again, beyond bleeding thorns, the endless dilation, the fire that alters nothing. I am there already, past snowy clouds, balding moss, dim swarm of stars even we can step over. It is easier this time, I promise. I am already waiting in your personal heaven. Here is my hand. I will help you across. I would gladly die with you right now, although I cannot seem to write from this gray institution. See, we are so busy trying to cure me, I'm, and I'm condemned. Sorry, I have been given the job of vacuuming the desert forever. Well, no less than eight hours a day, and it's really just about a thousand miles of cafeteria, a, a large one in any event, with its miniature plastic knives it's tuna salad and saran wrap genitalia. Will somebody please get me out of here? Sorry. I am happy to say that every method, massive pharmaceuticals, art therapy, and edifying films, 
as well as others I would prefer not to mention. I mean, every single technique known to the mouth, sorry, to our most kindly, compassionate science is being employed to restore me to normal well-being and cheerful stability. I go on vacuuming toward a small diamond light burning off in the distance. Remember me. Do you remember me? In the night's windowless darkness, when I am lying cold and numb and no one's fiddling with the lock or shining flashlights in my eyes, although I never write deep down, I long to die with you. Does that count? Got to get some bongos. <laughs> and, um, I met uh, Sue Mingus. I gave a reading at the 92nd Street Y, and she came up. Of course, I had known her book about Charles Mingus, the great, not only one of the great bebops or uh, bass players, but second to Duke Ellington, maybe, as a composer. I mean, his complete compositions are in the Smithsonian, I think, in an enormous, vast body of work. Um, beautiful comp composer as well. Um, now, why am I talking about that? Um, all right. The idea of music and poetry going together, I never really liked. But recently, first some friends, a couple friends in different rock bands, uh, you know, like Clem Snide and one called Ill Lit, um, put either a track on a record with me reciting a poem with music in the background, or a whole. In in the case of uh, one of them. Uh, 24 poems, I think, from Wheeling Motel, which is a recent book of mine, Wheeling, West Virginia. And uh, uh, turned out really beautifully, actually. I was surprised. I liked it. They're available from uh, Amazon and iTunes. It's called Readings from Wheeling Motel. And uh, for one day, I got a review for, of uh, Wheeling Motel in the New York Times book review, and people picked that up and they found the record. Uh, and for one day, I was number 11 on Amazon's ambient music chart. <laughs> for about 12 hours, I was like, a, we took a picture of it. Uh, I'm trying to. Um, this is called, this is a very strange, uh, sometimes they go out there, uh, rose opening, one, the soundless glacial splintering of the first glass knell would spell its last, attracting as it had a squadron of black attack dragonflies. Two, 
The soundless splintering of the first glass now would appear to have coincided, in fact, become one with its last, having fatefully announced its presence to a nearby flock of tiny but remarkably ravenous moon-colored piranha moths, known to reach sizes so small as to render them literally invisible, sometimes even when examined under powerful instruments of magnification. Three, the rose opened. It took quite a long time in our terms. Strange, incidentally, how magically advanced our terms are when you consider how comically inept their creators, how grotesquely, lethally stupid and blind. I am, of course, speaking figuratively. To insinuate the vaguest defamation of the blind is in no way my intent. I want to make this crystal clear a still small knell through the walls of your ear, because if I have all my life identified with any group of human beings at all, it would have to be the blind. Nevertheless, it must be admitted that the hallmark, birthmark, and tattooed number of your typical human is a severe disability when it comes to concerning themselves with or even perceiving anything beyond the most immediate consequences of their every action, word, or favorite sleeping position. Uh, don't ask me, but I have always been mystified by the taste of the word itself, blind. I like to say it. Why would that be? I love it when it is pronounced by Christ. You feel a child could grasp that he is saying something more than what he's saying. The rose opened. Rose. This word, it too leaves nothing else to say. What, what if we just allowed it to be a rose? Not miraculous enough for you? As the heart. But that's another story, the heart with its never-ending haunted longing for everything but what it has. There are indomitable hearts that take the pain and will not die, and I suppose there are shriveled remnants of that organ wandering around. There are, I have been of them, and somehow returned, and I have good news. The rose opened the literal rose and its word. The word thinks it is the object it stands for. But leave it alone. Let the word be a place for those who could not find one here. And sometimes there are no words. There are things God has not. There are things God has not named yet. There are none 
For what happens when you breathe in the rose, there are no words. And so what? Does there have to be a word for everything? Take this abandoned bird's nest. You can talk about it for a moment and take it deep into yourself and know a fraying gray abandoned bird's nest is not a fraying gray abandoned bird's nest. Love the one inside you who is not articulate or smart who's hardly spoken all her life, and in this way spared something for herself. Get to know her. She can teach you so much and rest yourself. Will you do that for me? Learn to go deaf, mute, and unlearned as heaven come hiddenly into you. Pay everyone. Let them fight over your wallet. Let them tear it to pieces like dogs. Then in the first evening waves, walk to your lake, leave your body, and go for a long swim. More wisdom from the elders. If you see it, please pluck the slightest shoot of the inane myth of hell dreamed up and ratified long, long ago by important self-haters of the past and viciously maintained by others like them right down to this day. Do exactly what the rose inside your chest is telling you to do. Go without food if you have to occasionally. I never died of it. I think it was good for me. Accept the jeering lashes of the imbecilic world. Seek the human in its singularity, the one alone who is good, who is hurt, who, like you, still holds on to a hope. Don't let the wrong person know you are happy. Keep it alight, the frail rose in the mind. Remember that there is a nakedness under your nakedness no one can reach, and nakednesses under nakednesses, petals of the rose around you, I will one day have the eyes to see. Don't worry, I won't be watching you all the time. I'm not going to stare at you all the time when I'm dead. And talk to me, talk to me a little, a traveler just like I was. Say you're having trouble staying awake sometime. Pull over right away, put your head back, give yourself some rest. God bless you. Close your eyes and tell me what you see. Thank you. Now, this just came out, strangely enough. Uh, I believe this is the very, this was my 30th, I'm going to brag, uh, my 30th poem in the New Yorker in 11 years. And uh, 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 it was a good run. And uh, uh, I, I think I published the first actual prose poem. They've done, Jim Tate, for example, has these 
poems with long lines that kind of look like prose, but they're lines, they're still verses. This is an honest-to-God piece of prose. Uh, and they put it under poetry. And I, I, don't, I'm, I don't believe I've researched and I don't believe they ever published a prose poem before. No one said anything. No one cares. <laughs> they pay, though. Uh, it's called Medicine Cabinet. Um, did you know that, well, you'll, it comes out in the poem. Medicine Cabinet. It seemed to take half the day to reach the bathroom, lugging my head in the crook of my arm like a bowling ball containing a hundred pounds of cotton, also dragging it behind me like unto a kite of lead, then like a flaccid balloon or the pink misshapen features of a child born with no brain. And I'll tell you, I was about a quarter to dead. That little twinge I'd started out with, off the smiley, frowny pain chart. Children, my garden of scars. Now my whole body felt as if someone had been going at it with a baseball bat as I struggled to awaken this morning long ago. From having mastered and I have this great fear, memorized the new manual of gender-correct English usage, and just good old plain personal experience, I can tell you the avoidance of mirrors represents one of humankind's major ordeals among the stars. And I approached this medicine cabinet determined that there should be no eye contact, no full frontal glimpse of myself whatsoever. Uh, I knew that I looked like death getting ready to eat a cracker. <laughs> Were you aware, incidentally, that heroin was invented by Bayer, the familiar aspirin company? Thanks, Friedrich. Or that it remained in liquid form an effective over-the-counter cough suppressant until its disappearance from the shelves of American pharmacies in 1910. One day I'm going to start to cry and never stop until I die. So what? An hour later I could still be found there, gnawing my way through the first gray pill, which was about the size of a pie and must have weighed 10 pounds. This is called, okay, I got it. This is called Spell. Some fish for words from shore, while others, lacking in such contemplative tact, like to go wading in up to their chins through a torrent of bone-free, chilling diamond, knife-raised, to freeze-frame incarnadine, then bid it with hermetic wand flow on, ferociously, transparently, name writ in river. Um, 
It's called home. Home sought. For like a, in a ad in a newspaper. For one hypodermic syringe with small wings, the ones preferred by the god in his sky blue high tops. Never used, needless to say. Well, maybe once, at the very most. Enjoys darting from one shadowy spot in the room to another, or was that only in my x-rays? With the glittering, transitionless movements of hummingbirds or electrons, I seem to have lost it temporarily, and I am afraid harshly attributing this new symptom to pre-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Actually, that was the name of a dance craze in, early, in the early 1950s. See what I mean? Nobody remembers the good things. It's just textbook chronic momentary insanity. When did we become so competitive with our diagnoses? And all the while, the poor thing is hovering right above my head like the cartoon representation of a thought. Strangely, it has made no attempt at escape, even though I am standing in front of the high open windows where I can so often be found earthly blue and heaven bound. The rest of the time I'm in bed having this black and white dream about standing in front of a window, a high open window. All right, now I see it very clearly embubbled above my skull. A great notion on the part of my surviving brother, double and handicapped shadow, one leg an inch short, the limping starless wing of my own flesh, and the ideas he entertains in a bright dream, and one I have entertained so long, brightly. It appears we are having the same dream in shifts, unpublishable to this day. Outside again, in the brutal white glare, someone I almost recognized told me it was the most beautiful dream about being awake that he had ever seen. I don't know what that means. I like the ones I don't understand. Uh, th although this is, I'm very fond of this and it's dedicated to my uh, editor, Deborah Garrison, a dear friend. And, uh, uh, it's called Peach Tree. Now, we have a small peach tree growing in our backyard in Waltham, Massachusetts. And you don't expect to find a peach tree in New England. I don't. I don't associate it with New England. I mean, it doesn't seem like quite the right weather or something. Seems like something from the south to me. But anyway, we have this peach tree. Perfect in every respect, except that it's kind of stunted and small and sort of gimped up. And, but it produces these peaches every year. And they reach a certain point, And they start to get kind of red and beautiful. And 
Then one night they just, I get my hopes up every year and we'll really have peaches of, in New England and like in the backyard. And, and then one night they just vanish. I think birds come and eat them or something. And all at once they just vanish. And I'm always heartbroken. Um, I don't know. I always wanted to write something about that. I identified with that tree, uh, having moved around a lot myself and found myself in unusual places. Uh, peach tree. Winds are blessing one by one the unlighted buds of the backbent peach trees. Unnoted return. At first light, gray, I stand beside the tree, my height. Such fragile limbs as of bark-covered glass. How did we ever survive? Find our way back and take again our alien stand here, reappearing at the tip of one of endless branching roads, a dead end finally, home one of quiet's addresses, where I would endure gratefully five more years lying low, survive until I couldn't. I had often wondered where it would find me. So one more northern spring has been given me too, frail peach tree. You look good. You look like you could go on doing that forever. I have no more idea what I look like than you do, I am happy to say. All of that is over, that business with the mirror. One winter afternoon, I noticed it had stopped. I couldn't anymore. But that was all. I wish I had thought of it sooner. I lost all this weight and I couldn't look in the mirror. I, I mean, I really looked like... It was so shocking to me that I, I couldn't, couldn't look in the mirror and uh, from cancer treatments, and, uh, which were successful, I'm happy to say, but for now, um, seems to have come back a little bit. Um, so that business with the mirror, one winter afternoon I noticed it had stopped. I couldn't anymore, and that was all. Wish I'd thought of it sooner. Trembling with the effort not to break between thumb and forefinger, this one hidden branch I identify with. And I'm trying to lift and lower my eye to leaves receding as I reach out, some forcing me, pushing them away maybe. I hope that isn't so. Because I want to touch polishing frictionlessly the rows of velvet greenest dark beginnings, infolded growths destined to develop into nothing more than stunted fruit stripped from their boughs overnight by blackbirds. I wish I could go inside one of them, past the tough rind into one of identical pink, erect, closed, eyelid-colored buds. Curl up the size of a comma and wait there for the softly sifting wind
to find me, lift me. Wait there alone with everyone else in the darkness before we were born. How did we ever drift into this chill state? I'm feeling kind of broken and, and backbend myself. This is a little unfinished. And I see us both bound for the fire, lone peach tree. Then nothing, then pure spirit again. Even Lazarus has to die. What have I done? What have I been so afraid of all my life? Little work still. But I like the line about Lazarus. It occurred to me one day that the only other reference to Lazarus in the fourth gospel where the, the raising of Lazarus occurs is, uh, I think, where some people are getting together to, to conspire to kill him again. I thought, I mean, he just, you know, they're going to kill him again right after he came back from, uh, against his will, too, by, by the way. Uh, he wasn't in good shape after four days. Uh, it's, it's kind of horrifying. And I found a great poem of Rilke's, The Raising of Lazarus, an unfinished poem. And I've been trying to translate it for 25 years. Uh, and, and he talks about, very, stays very close to the John's story of on the way to the weeping, on the way to the grave of Lazarus, having to ask directions and weeping. And, uh, um, and I thought, what does this mean? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just suddenly thought, Lazarus comes back from the dead, but then he has to die again. What a fate. Um, now I like when, when the, the little daughter of the, of the Roman soldier's daughter is, Jesus says, your faith has made your daughter live. And you go home and he goes home and she's alive and, they, and the mother immediately says something like, give her something to eat. <laughs> it's like, just came back from the dead and then give her something to eat. Well, I like, I love the uh, Japanese haiku poet uh, Basho, uh, Matsuo Basho, uh, who I think was writing around the same time as Shakespeare and was a kind of Shakespearean figure in Japanese literature in that he took, as Shakespeare did, a a form of modern, of popular entertainment, like going to the movies, or, and raised it to the highest of art, the highest conceivable art. Basho did a similar thing with the haiku, which was previously considered a kind of frivolous, something sort of wealthy people got together and had a party and see who could write the best haiku or something and, while they were drinking. and. Uh, um, 
Uh, he turned it into a, among the greatest lyric poetry of, of, of all time. And um, even in translation, you can feel it. And there's a form that he wrote in called the High Boom, uh, in which there's a diary-like entry about the haiku, the situation in which it was written. And it's very, if handled correctly, very, very touching. And, and then the haiku is given. It's, it's a very beautiful, uh, seems obvious, but it's like the simplest things are very, very difficult to do in writing. Uh, is what people have uh, often forget uh, when they want to jump ahead to some of the more complex uh, effects in writing that just to write very simply and clearly is probably the very hardest thing to do in writing. Or in any art, uh, speaking of uh, Charles Mingus again, he said somewhere, uh, anybody can play weird. He said, but to find in complexity that the simplicity, the awesome simplicity of Bach, say, uh, that's true creativity. Um, Bosch was a great master of that. And I dedicated this to my friend Sam Hamill, a great, um, very, very great translator of both Chinese and, and Japanese poetry and a lifelong practitioner of Zen Buddhism. And his wife had just finally died of lung cancer, which I was suffering from. We had developed a close, we stayed in touch and I, I felt great sorrow for him when his wife finally died and it was very close to home, you know. We, we have a good correspondence, although we don't really know each other. But, uh, so I just did three of these brief, I mean, I don't know Japanese, but I know people who do and I, I did what Pound talked about. You get someone who knows the language literally very fluently, and you get a poet and put them together and you can come up with a translation that way sometimes. Or there are other ways to do it. Um, I found I had a knack for it. Um, so these are three short Basho uh, pieces. The first one is, I am acquainted with a Kyoto monk by the name of Unshiku who once did a painting. Maybe it was a self-portrait, I don't know. It showed a monk with his face turned away. He asked me if I would write something on it. So I set down these words. You are more than 60 years old, and I am almost 50. Now, uh, Basho died of old age at 49. I mean, uh, he was not in very good health, and he had a very hard life, and sort of died. He wandered the roads of Japan trying to capture the wordless moment of illumination in words, paradoxically. And, uh, great, more, more greatly than many, any, some, most poets who have ever lived, I think. Uh, this the uh, great paradox of poetry is attempt in a way to capture 
a moment of illumination that is basically speechless and word, wordless and, and to find words for it. It's a strange, hopeless undertaking. I am acquainted with a Kyoto monk by the name of Unchiku who once did a painting. Maybe it was a self-portrait, I don't know. It showed a monk with his face turned away. He asked me if I would write something on it, so I set down these words. You are more than 60 years old, and I am almost 50. We are both shadows in a dream. The same dream, maybe. Then, as if talking in my sleep, I added my poem. Turn and look back at me. I am so lonely, cold fall night. Uh, two. As the freezing rain of early winter began falling desolately over everything, I sought warmth and company at a roadside inn. Allowed to dry my soaked clothes at the fire, I was further comforted for a time by the innkeeper who tactfully listened to me relate some of the troubles I met with on the road. Suddenly it was evening. I sat down under a lamp, taking great care with them as I produced my ink and brushes and began to write. Recognizing my work, he was a very famous, famous poet, although very poor, and uh, uh, took a, almost, uh, he was very close to being a monk I mean, himself, but he stayed outside of the formal uh, uh, association with him. And, uh, he, he used his experience as a Zen Buddhist in his poetry. And um, uh, uh, so he was, <laughs> I mean, anyone would have given him anything. I mean, he was like a rock, I mean, he was very, very famous and yet shunned all kind of recognition or any repayment for uh, what he had done, he was out of fear that it would ruin his the, the purity of his undertaking, and he was right. Uh, maybe uh, you got to live, but he made out all right. Uh, as let's see, as the freezing. Let me see. Yeah. He listened tactfully as I related some of the troubles I met with on the road. Suddenly it was evening. I sat down under a lamp, taking great care with them as I produced my ink and brushes and began to write. Recognizing my work, he solemnly requested that I consider composing a poem in honor of our one brief encounter in this world. At an inn, I am asked for identification. Traveler, let that be my name. The first winter rain. And uh, I think I have one more. Wherever I travel, wherever I happen to find myself, I am not from there. In fact, the whole world is just such a place to me. 
I have spent the past six or seven months on the road, a nocturnal traveler who has survived so far many devastating illnesses as I made my way onward. I found the more alien I came to seem to myself, the more I missed beloved faces, lifelong friends, and aging students until my steps were drawn irresistibly back toward the outskirts of Edo, or Tokyo. And sure enough, day after day they appeared, coming to sit in the small hut of a poor man and talk to me. I had nothing to offer in return except my poem. I am still alive, but why? Silvery grass that withers at the touch of the snow. Um, oh, my next to last book was called Wheeling Motel. It was experience I had coming for the James Wright Festival back in 1992, I think, and I was invited a couple times, and uh, I, I had a room in that, in Wheeling, in that Great Western Motel with the ramp in the back, looking out over, I'd forgotten how vast the river was, at, at least at that time of year, and how the great beauty, April, the green lushness in the evening, and, and I know that the whole area had been cleaned up a great deal, was explained to me uh, since the intense industrial pollution of the 20s and 30s and 40s. But, uh, uh, it certainly is one of the most beautiful areas in the world, I think, uh, among the great rivers of the world. And, and, uh, I just wrote this short poem, very literal, about my stay uh, called Wheeling Motel, um, if I can find it. Oh. The vast waters flow past its backyard, the motels. You can purchase a six-pack in bars. You can't do that. If that happened in Boston, there would be trouble. <laughs> you can purchase a six-pack in bars. Tammy Wynette's on the marquee, a block down. It's 25 years ago. You went to death, I to life, and which was luckier, God only knows. There's this line in an unpublished poem of yours. The river is like that, a blind familiar. The wind will die down when I say so. The leaden and lessening light on the current. Then the moon will rise like the word reconciliation, like Walt Whitman examining the tear on a dead face.
Well, um, do I have time to read a couple more? Uh, read a couple of the prose poems from uh, my last book. Kinder Totenwald. It's a wonderful, you can do this in German, make a compound noun, one long word. Beautiful looking word. I, I love German culture, the music and poetry, and I'm, we were talking at dinner, I'm in, very intrigued by a, a, a culture that produces the possibility of Hitler and Gustav Mahler bumping shoulders in Vienna, you know, at some point. How can it happen? Um, I, I wanted to read one that was about or dedicated to my wife, about my wife. Uh, it's called The Yes. The Yes. Each day for years it gets up at first light, lets the dove out and stands in the doorway looking at the soft blue Arkansas sky without waking. But never you mind, it will be packing its small suitcase soon. It will leave the keys dangling from the lock and set out at last. Across the raven's brook and barefoot through the pathless wood of books, Already it is traveling toward me. Somehow I know this. Though blinded as I leave the outer brilliance, though the stench of urine hit me like a blow, and once more in the blink of an eye I am back at my watch, pretty mauled by a vicious cycle, right in the middle of raising a 20-pound shot glass toward the general vicinity of my lips, the way a ruined jeweler might gradually guide from long habit the loop to an empty eye socket. But the suicides you always have with you. Maybe I'm just cruising around late at night and waiting at what is already the longest red light in Western history. No other car in sight, never will be, not in my private city, scared, sick. I am the very lost person, the VLP, abandoned to man by himself, this glass-bottom space station. One more ragged meat bone will always have haunting us, floating in a gray soup of its own filth and misery. What are you going to do? Let's say later on, I happen to hang a sharp left for no reason I can think of at an unfamiliar corner, just in time to glimpse a small three-legged dog making his way down the black sidewalk. And finally, I ask to be given a new name, which nobody knows, and a new heart. In ascending progressions, the first dawn waves traversing that universe where the more you disappear, the more vividly present you become, where the slower the velocity, the sooner the time of arrival, the answer is on its way. Now I'm just going to read the very first, they're very short, little short paragraphs, the first piece and the last 
I think that would be an interesting way to. And then if uh, anybody would like to ask anything or have a discussion of some kind, or if you do that, I'm open to doing that. Uh, I don't know if you do that. Sometimes people do. Or if someone would like me to read a particular poem, I get requests sometimes. <laughs> um, the first piece is called Winter Sleep. I was having trouble sleeping. I don't know how long I'd been lying there and listening to the blizzard when I had the most vivid impression that it was a blizzard in Minneapolis in 1959. And I found this disturbing. I knew it would now have to turn on its lamp, get out of bed, and try to write about me. And of course, no matter what it wrote, I would just sound like something it had made up. But in the end, it decided to stay put, turn over, and keep me to itself. I think that was the right thing to do. After all, it was only a blizzard in Minneapolis in 1959. How are you supposed to describe something like me? And when you think about it, why, why should you try? Why should you even care? The last piece is a little stranger. Uh, this is a little bit more like what my old teacher, Charles Simic, would call the, uh, the lyrical absolute. Maybe. Song. I don't know where this came from. It just, the first line came to me. I was in California, I think, visiting my mother. It came out of nowhere. It made no sense, but stuck me in. Stuck something in me. I just followed it. Wisteria, rain, where is your child, mother? This must be the last bee on earth. So you find no more grandeur or mystery here. You know, sometimes you kind of run out of gas. With, you, you go to church and you feel empty. You feel there's something wrong with you that you don't have. The, anyway, I do anyway. This. So you find no more grandeur or mystery here. Perhaps you neglected to bring any. Heckling sparrows, vast electron cloud of gnats on windless water. Night blue volume in a language no one reads. Are we tired yet? Are you finished debating the blind who insist that light doesn't exist? and have proof of it. Nobody's alone. God is alone. If you liked being born, you'll love dying. Thank you for listening.